podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Red Inca, which is part of the 99.94 Network. I'm Jared Kimber. This podcast has adverts, but if you prefer your podcast without, in the show notes, you'll see the link to my Patreon page and you can listen to our chats uninterrupted. Patreon also comes with many other benefits as well, including a Discord channel and private chats with me. But now, the show. This episode of Red Inca, we have someone to talk about the former Dutch captain after his recent retirement because of injury. And that person is the man himself. My name is Peter Saylor and currently I'm unemployed and looking for a job. We talk penguin dancers at Lords, only owning spikes, dismissing Sachin, being a party animal, becoming a cricket nerd, Peter Boren, his impact on Dutch cricket, and England's world record 498 as his last match. I don't know if you've seen this footage, but when we were covering the England Dutch series in the ODIs, I think it was the second ODI, you were on the balcony. And you had to leave the balcony. But at the end of the balcony for the PMOA area, there was a piece of tape. And that tape was, I'm going to say about belly button height. And you couldn't work out how to get the tape off and put it back on again. And you then spent about four minutes trying to work out how to get under the tape. I would say that at that stage, not only did I not think you would play again in that series, I thought it was quite unlikely that you were about to make any kind of comeback in international cricket. Your back was very much gone. Yes, I unfortunately had to watch the footage because quite a few people thought it was funny, which now in hindsight it is funny. At the moment it wasn't because it was extremely painful. But yeah, it was actually after that first ODI against England, obviously, that after the game I could barely walk. And that was also the first time that the guys from the, the team and Actually, people involved in Dutch cricket could see the extent of uh, the injury when it's at its worst. So that, that was a very tough moment, obviously, for me personally, because I've trying to keep that away from uh, the guys and especially the youngsters. They, they don't need to see that stuff. But in saying that, I think for everyone, it was then quite clear that, well, the problems that I have had with my back over the last sort of three years, that now people finally understood where the complaining and, and the occasional grumpiness came from. <laughs> there was no way you could really play on though, was there? That, I mean, that looked to me that you'd push yourself about as far as you could go with your back. Yes, because it started to go real bad in 2020. So the, 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 the year Corona hit and I was just playing a game and obviously all of a sudden after the game, I, I could not walk. And from that, there was a five month out of the game situation so there was there was quite extensive and and i knew at that stage like this is going to be an issue that will follow me around the doctor said you can play with it but it will take some managing occasionally not playing not training which obviously has caused for me to well reconsider your loads and the way you want to go about it but it's not the way i want to go about it i don't want to be able to have to manage myself and if I ask my players for 100% commitment, but you can't give it yourself, then, you know, it, it becomes a dead end. The toll it took on my personal life uh, with having a young young kid who I wasn't able to get out of bed. My wife, you know, who has to deal with me being in pain for three years. Um, you know, after considering them and the chats we've had that 
we we pretty much decided if the, if it goes wrong one more time, maybe it's time to call quits. And yeah, it it was actually during the West Indies series it was already that bad, but I was hoping that by getting more work in it will be fine. But the England game, I must stress, it didn't have anything to do with getting hit around the park for 498 because you know people might relate it to that. Um, but yeah, it was a situation that wasn't manageable for me uh, anymore professionally, but also in my private life. Yeah, I think a lot of people might have said that it was the 498 runs that made you retire until they saw you with that tape. And I think afterwards, they were more than aware that, you know, no one gets hit that hard that they can't uh, bend over anymore. <laughs> a little bit of grass on the wicket is good, but too much and all hell breaks loose. Not enough and things can go sideways very quick. The same is true of your pubic hair. And you don't have a groundsman who smells like fertilizer telling you what to do. No, you are the curator of your own pubic pitch. So if you're having trouble grooming your pitch, what about Manscaped? They've invented a sleek, well-designed, optimized trimmer that helps you shave your ball. I've used it and it's incredible. It's good enough to use at Lords. So get 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code REDINCA, which should be easy to remember because that's the name of this podcast. And you just put that in at manscaped.com. That's 20% off, free worldwide shipping, manscaped.com. The code is REDINCA. I always thought this podcast took balls more seriously than anyone else. Then I tried Manscaped. Let's go back to the start of your career. You kind of got into cricket accidentally. Was it your brother who was playing in, like, uh, was getting coached in football or something? And while you were, you weren't old enough to play in the football, there was some sort of cricket thing going on. Is, I remember you telling me this once. Yeah, correct. So the club I used to play for, Hermes DVS, is where I, well, me and my brother played our football. And because they provide cricket and football at the same club, it was kind of like, it, it's kind of a deal with, obviously, football is a, a lot bigger than cricket in Holland. So during the end of the season, say March, April, and before the start of the cricket season, you always get sort of like this clinic or a get-to-know cricket type of training. And um, that's how accidentally how I rolled into cricket because like my family or something has got no no history in cricket or, well, quite frankly, didn't know what cricket was uh, back then. How much of it is that you were just good at the sport so you kept playing it? And how much was it that you really liked it compared to other sports? 50-50, I suppose, because the sports when you're six to eight years old, is quite fun because, you know, it, it moves quite quickly. There's no thinking at all. You just want to hit the ball as far as you can. And when you bowl, you generally want to bowl as fast as you can, right? So that's that's quite funny. You you stand in the field for a little bit because you just rotate around and you just get the ball enough times to be like, oh, this was actually quite pleasant. It only got serious sort of when you go to the seniors, right? When you start thinking about cricket is actually a sport. It's got a lot more elements to it. It didn't hit me uh, when I was 14, 15, thinking, oh, this is going to be my career path or this is what I want to do for the rest of my life until I started to realize that cricket had a lot more tactical elements to it. And actually the way you play your cricket that's on the field, but also off the field was actually quite enjoyable. So that's how I got into cricket. And when do you make your senior debut for the Netherlands? You're quite young, aren't you, when you do that? Yeah, because I, unofficially, I think I played when I was 17. So there was a well, against the touring team, or we, we might have gone to South Africa first. I'm a long way back. But yeah, I was 17, I think, when I made my debut. The first game I played was against Warwickshire for the back then the NetWest trophy, if I remember right. Trevor Penny likes to always remind me of that because, you know, we played against Warwickshire with uh, Nick Knight, Trevor Penny, he's streak all playing, but Trevor Penny obviously became 
our consultant coach for a while and he had to remind me every time that he hit me for six during that game on the last ball of my spell and he remembered it vividly and um yeah so that was my debut i was about 17 and only rocked up with a pair of spikes <laughs> when you started playing now that you're a captain and you know a lot more about the game thinking back were you anywhere near ready playing professional cricket at that point no, not not at all. I enjoyed cricket. Well, let's put it this way. I enjoyed bowling. So give me the ball. And back then, you just got 10 overs in a one-day game. You generally bowled them on the trot because that was back in the day. was, you know, a spinner wouldn't go for more than 40 or whatever. If you just landed, they would just pat it back at you. And that was quite enjoyable. But I was nowhere near ready for professional sports because I took football back then a lot more serious um, where I was like hoping – as many Dutch guys do, hoping to become a professional football player, which was never really going to happen. And like I said earlier, I think when you go on tour for the first time and actually get to see what cricket is about, in contrary to, to what Dutch cricket is, and a, a whole new world opened up for me and, and something I realized only a little bit later that this could be something I want to do professionally, yeah. When you went to Lords, which would not have been that long after that to play in the famous World T20 game, now a World Cup game, I suppose, but um, you didn't really know what Lords was. You knew it was a cricket ground and it was famous, but you didn't really understand the history of Lords, did you? No, not at all. So even walking through the, the long room, which I now know what it means and what is all there, is that you look at those old paintings and I was a little bit like, oh, is that cool? <laughs> Not when you're 20, 21 years old, you're a little bit like, okay, this is seeing um, WC Grays, and you're like, cool. So, it, and it wasn't disrespect, it was just a fact I didn't know. Lords, obviously, it had something because you, you've heard so many guys talking about it, you know, like, oh, we're going to play at Lords and this is going to be amazing. And it was, and it is, playing at Lords is amazing, but it, it didn't have that emotional feel to me. Like, it was just nice to play in a stadium in front of so many people, which I, at that stage, had never done before. So it's a bit weird coming to Lords and, you know, especially the older guys were like, oh, Lords and traditions and the history of the game and this and that. It's like, it's like an old library where you can find all the, the details of the history of the game. And I was a little bit like, well, I just want to play this game and that's quite cool. And that was a bit, yeah, a bit weird. Yeah. <laughs> Is that why you did a penguin dance? in the middle of Lords, which I believe was taken from the movie Billy Madison that you were watching at the time. <laughs> when I thought about it after you go, like, I did that at Lords. Really? Not at some random ground in Holland. No, I did it at Lords. So it's not why, but the, the fact that I did it at Lords was a bit weird. It was a bit disrespectful, I suppose, to what I now know what Lords means. That game, obviously changes everything in Dutch cricket. It certainly, it may or may not have had the same impact of maybe Ireland beating Pakistan in 2007, but from a Dutch cricket perspective, changed the way that within the team and within the cricket community, you thought about cricket. What are your memories of beating, you know, England in that game? The game itself, well, the first thing I noticed, we had never played really with Dirk Nunes. He played one warm-up game where he probably bowled about 50% and it was a little bit like, okay, this is Derek Nunn, it's cool. But then we played that first game and he actually bowled in full steam bowling 90 miles an hour. It was my first memory of like, how quick is that? <laughs> that is unreal pace. Also, at the same time, like how the England players weren't flustered by that at all. They actually seemed to quite enjoy it. And I was a little like, this is new sort of territory for me. This is weird. What I do remember is that the first six were a tough assignment. 
because the ball was just flying everywhere and was for us a little bit like, wow, this is what's supposed to happen and what, what can we do about it? But actually from that first wicket onwards, I think it was Luke Wright who skied it up and I took the catch and from then on, England never seemed to really get momentum in their betting innings. You can say we bowled well, which we did, I think. Maybe they just didn't play it fantastically well because they were quite unsure of how to go about their business. But the moment that hit me where I was like, we could actually win this game, it was going a little bit hand in hand, but it was sort of like the 10th over break. Kevin Peterson wasn't playing because he was rested for the first game so you could play the rest of the tournament. And he was kind of sort of like a little bit chirpy, but he was like, like in the dugout next to it. And he kind of gave a wink of like, it will be all right. I was like, okay. But then you could see the rest of their bench was getting a bit anxious because it was raining a bit and a bit off, a bit on. Uh, and then they actually started dropping a few catches because I think at that stage, Peter Bowen slog swept Paul Collingwood into the second row mm. at Lords. And from that moment onwards, it was actually, I think from about the 10th or 11th over, it was more our game to lose than theirs to win. It created a... I guess also a bit of stress amongst us, where it was a little bit like, we should win this. Actually, we're in the driving seat, and that's where I think we actually managed to stay calm, which was quite handy, having Ryan Tinduskada still having to come in rather than mm. Ori being in, because he actually saw the chase home in a way, arguably, others couldn't really quite do it, because they already went in with their freedom, Tom the Crow, Peter Boring, to just get us ahead, and Ryan will take care of the rest, which... Not quite like that, but that's pretty much what happened, yeah. Obviously, the last ball was something no one will ever forget. Yeah, the overthrows of Stuart Broad. You realise at a certain point you might have to bat, and this is what you told me, and I hope it's true, that you didn't own cricket pads at that time. No, I had a batting gloves. Actually, I also had a helmet because I was hit. Did you have a bat? A year before that, when I was wearing someone's lit, that was way too big, so the grill actually hit me in my eye. Gerry Sneijman bolts from Namibia. Uh, wasn't a great experience, which caused me to actually get a helmet and make sure that you're protected. But at that stage, the only reason I had my pads on because it was either Jeroen Smits, the captain at that stage, Dirk Nunes or myself, and I was the quickest out of everyone just to make sure that I could run too. <laughs> Obviously, at that stage, you're just a young guy enjoying life. I remember, in fact, the, the first time I met you was in 2016, when Dutch cricket was kind of flying, I sort of, I remember telling you guys, you were like the Vikings. You, were, you would go from associate nation to associate nation. You would slaughter them, in, especially in one day cricket back in those days. You know, I remember in Hong Kong, there were, your members were having relationships with Hong Kong staff and all sorts of things. It was like you guys would just turn up, win a bunch of games, conquer the women and then leave over and over again. My memory of you then was very much a, a very nice guy, as you still are, obviously, but a bit of a, you enjoyed a party life, and that seemed to be the Dutch way at that point. Is that fair? To a certain degree, yes. We did enjoy it, but we weren't a team of bandits that just drinks and plays a bit of cricket. We actually took our cricket quite seriously, but I think it you, was You were the... professional with the cricket, but then also there was a sense of enjoyment that I felt of being around your team that not all cricket teams have. Does that make sense? Yeah, that I can agree on. It was more, I think, also the time of the players that were playing and everyone was kind of in the same boat. Either guys were getting into the serious end of life, you know, getting into your, your, your kids' marriage stuff. A couple were recently single and were a little bit like, well, whilst we travel the world and, and, and play our cricket, you should also enjoy it, which I fully back, obviously. 
but I think at that time, the only thing we got wrong was our timings of when or when not to do it, which obviously comes with a bit of professionalism. But also back in that day, we didn't have a full-time coach or a, a coach that was permanent with the team. We went through a little bit of limbo when Anton Roo uh, left for the Otago Vault. We didn't really have a well, system or, or, or support staff that was always with us. Uh, Chris Adams was with us at, at that time when we met. But obviously then Ryan Campbell came into the picture and <laughs> one of the, the great memories is that he um, took us to Kowloon Cricket Club and was there to, because obviously that's the, the, the place he coached and he was going to give us an inspirational introduction which turned into a proper spray of how there, there will be a no dickhead policy, we're going to have to cut the prior life to a more of a minimal, there's a time and a place, but we guys need to realize it. And he came in strong, which from then on changed our whole culture and mindset around sort of that issue or the way we went about it. But yeah, I also do think that whilst we enjoyed life outside of cricket, it also helped us playing our cricket because there's always that fine line of how serious do you take yourself? Obviously, you want to win and compete and mm whatever you do, but there's also that thin line. Once you take yourself a little bit too seriously, it could work against you. So at that stage, it wasn't quite balanced, where I think when Kembo came, we perfectly got that balance right and moved into a, a more professional mindset, I suppose. Yeah. So I think first time I met you was 2016. Second time I met you was probably 2019, maybe. Maybe with some interviews in between. Hmm. 2019, you came up, if I remember correctly, the rest of the players were doing country and Western karaoke in a bar in Dubai. And you were over in the corner chatting to a bunch of the nerdiest people in associate cricket and me. <laughs> I only say, and me, because I'm not in associate cricket. I'm obviously still dirty. But, but you, were, you were saying things like, it was like 2 a.m. in the morning. I reckon Roloff Vandermerva was singing like John Denver song behind us. And you're saying, so guys, who do you think is the best uh, middle order player in associate cricket? You know, not outside of the test playing there. That seemed to me a very stark change from what I had seen a few years earlier. So obviously Cambo's message got through to you and then something happened. And I don't know if it was Peter Boren getting in your ear, but you changed from being the party loving cricketer who certainly played correctly to being all about cricket. And by that stage, what was that, two, three years ago now, you had completely transformed into a captain, a thinker on the game, and if I may say so myself, a bit of a nerd. Yeah, 100%. Well, it actually came with the captaincy job from, I guess, being a sort of popular, no, I wouldn't say clown, but you do some stuff. But once I got the, the head job, it was for me... I took that so with a lot of pride, but also that I need to change from a character that would bring some life to the team or some color or whatever way you want to put it to a way that I wanted to lead in the way that I think this team should be led. And that came from obviously chatting to Peter Boren a lot over the years and knowing how he goes about a business is that you should know cricket, you should know your opposition and you should know the way you want to go about it. And for me, it was like, well, if it now is, first of all, the captain of your country, you know, you have to, you have to be able to know what you're talking about. So I became the student of the game and that, that happened quite quickly, which I did actually with a lot of enjoyment because, you know, when you first start getting into that stuff, it was such a change, but it was also, I did already change my life a little bit around having my now current yeah. wife, you know, we were started living together. So I was already on the path of, of growing up. 
But I guess what the thing was for me is that as a leader, you cannot be the leader of the nightlife as well, if that makes sense, is that I had to withdraw myself a little bit, not all the time, but most of the times, just that I found enjoyment in other ways. And that was talking about cricket at times. That was something I genuinely hated before I was captain. You know, you're, you're spending a whole day playing cricket and that's enough. And then you talk about cricket, you think cricket. And, but once it was done, you got to the hotel to have a shower and then you move on and going out for dinner. I did not want to talk about cricket because I very much had that balance in life. Once cricket is out on the cricket field, but once you're done, it's life because otherwise cricket takes over. And I think I'm now or a little bit earlier, I was a little bit guilty of that. It's, it was too much cricket. And then you all of a sudden, it's just, well, 90% of your life becomes cricket. And that was a balance that I struggled with a little bit because it was just too much of which I then, you know, you're a little bit like, well, <laughs> there are other things outside of cricket, but it was very enjoyable for the time I had sort of leading the country and, and being the cricket nerd. I mean, I don't think there are that many players that go from social captain to national team captain. So well done on, on that. <laughs> you, you talked about Peter Boren a little bit there. I mean, I sort of know both of you separately to each other, but I know that you two obviously have this incredible relationship. He has an almost paternal relationship with you the way I learned a lot about you from him because he was always talking <laughs> about you. And he is that sort of fatherly quiet guy. He could be, I mean, I think we could both agree. He could be quite intense when he wants to be, yeah. quite yeah. full on. What is that relationship? It seemed from a very early age, he decided that he was going to try and guide you to become this sort of person. I don't think you become national captain if he doesn't sort of take an interest in you. No, probably not. Because obviously, like, Pete and I roomed together for, I don't know, the previous eight years or so. Um, so we were, we were always having a close relationship in that way. I wouldn't say that he would have shaped me into becoming the next captain, but because of spending a lot of time in the room or outside, wherever you go, is that with Pete, you genuinely talk about cricket a lot. So in that way, I, he sort of groomed me in that way of trying to talk a lot of cricket into me, of which he's got a lot of knowledge of. So it was also enjoyable, but as I said, I would have a difficulty with, we're going out for dinner. I don't want to talk about cricket right now. <laughs> We've spent about five hours talking about cricket. Maybe it's time to let it go now. But yeah, he certainly helped me in that way of what it is to be captain and what it is, and that's mainly the on-field stuff of how to read the game. And that's not, this is right and this is wrong, but just how to interpret your own way of seeing the game of cricket. So yes, in that way, we have spent so much time talking cricket that it sometimes it wasn't even funny anymore. Or, you know, you're not going to make any world-changing decisions after that anyway. But yeah, he has helped me a lot. And it was cool to take over from him. But in the way everything happened, like the way he ended it, his international career, that wasn't great for him personally and not great for me either because I was taking over hoping that we could still have a relationship. But then he was having issues himself that it was tough to connect on that level and luckily sort of two years later roughly two years later or a year later we got back into that mode again of like okay let's talk about the cricket and by then I was also fully invested and yeah the relationships got back to where it was I suppose. 
let's talk about your bowling a little bit because that's the bit of cricket you liked. You batted mm. because you had to was always my theory. Yeah. Um, although you got good towards the end, but let's mm. not give you too much credit there. Uh, I mean, you hit everything to mid-wicket, let's be honest. So <laughs> Your wickets, you've taken KP, Verinda Sewag, Owen Morgan, Shivnarayan Chanapal, Yunus Khan. I'm missing one. What, what was the other one, mate? That's another big name. Uh, oh, what is it? I can't okay. remember. him. Is it Sachin Tendulkar? Yeah. <laughs> You've got some decent names in your pocket. I mean, I suppose from a bowling perspective, you're kind of more like that Western style left arm finger spinner. You're more an athlete, a bigger sort of body sort of person, you know, a little bit stronger than maybe some of the more Asian style finger spinners. Mm. What was your sort of thought process when you're going up against KP or Tendulkar or Chandrapal? Um, you tried to bowl very dry was always my thought. Yeah. Well, that, that actually came from... Once you realize in, in cricket, if you're not the massive turner of the ball, which I'm definitely not, you need to fox them out or think about the game in a different way. And it's subtle changes of pace, maybe dropping the arm a little bit or getting a little bit more over. So in terms of that, that that's how I approach it. The good thing was that back in those days, that's 2011 World Cup, is that we weren't so much focused on the opposition or there was no analysis or, you know, there was, there was a little bit of footage, but it wasn't overly discussed. Mm. And it, I think it's a good thing um, what you see now with the Dutch youngsters as well is that you don't have any thoughts about it. You just grab the ball and you bowl, mm. right? You're just trying to bowl that good ball, whatever you think it is at that time, and you just bowl it because you don't think, oh, it's Tendulkar, maybe I need to bow into his pads or maybe I just need to slow it up wide or you know Verenda Sewak I didn't know he tried to hit everything through the offside I learned the high way though hitting for six over cover and then down to third man I was a little like well, well that is not supposed to happen that, that is that's not fair then it was just like you, you just bowl right you just get the ball in your hand and you go like oh well you, you bowl and you just try and do the best you can which at that stage was for me the easiest way to go about it is just bowl. Kevin Peterson was the only one that was a bit different because it was highlighted first game, but it was also highlighted just before that. I think that he was having issues with left arm spin. There was like this period that even I think during the Ashes, if I'm right in saying it, because Xavier Doherty played for my club a year and he told me all about it, that Xavier Doherty was purely picked to get up Kevin Peterson just because he had struggles with left arm spin. They picked two left-arm finger spinners in that yeah. Ashes. Uh, they picked Michael Beer as well. So, you know, and it was just so weird. The way we, not constructed it, but it was like, well, I think with Peterson, because he wants to hit it straight, but you just try a ball a bit slower because he will reach out. And then Pete Boren took that captain. That was like probably, or arguably, my first way of we've, spoke about this before and we actually got him out that way and that was so cool don't get me wrong it was it was fantastic but back in those days predominantly it was just bowl and you'll be fine and that's the way i prepared it's like i'll just get the ball in my hand and i will try to do my thing and yeah i knew i was never going to be the the wicked taker in terms of i'm going to spin it past you and then i've got the other one and this and that and i took pride in taking control of one end so at the other end you could take wickets what are some of your memories of some of the great games obviously we talked about the one against england there was another game against england as well qualifying for world cups all this sort of stuff what are some of the games that sort of stick out for you in your career well obviously the island one so before the second one we 
beat England, but we chased down 190 in 12.450 was, was, you know, one of those games where when you were there, you could only believe what happened. I guess many people that look at the scorecard were like, what is going on? And it was ridiculous. It was a ridiculous game of hitting. You know, that Ireland got to 190. was like, oh, well, we're going to have to chase it in 12.5. And, you know, seeing Peter Bourne already with the pads on pretty much before we left the field, he was like, I'm just going to go out there and, and, and go for it. And everything worked in our way with Ireland bowling spin to him, which wasn't the best idea from their side. But anyway, that was a good game. Obviously, the games against Namibia for qualifying, or the one game against Namibia before qualifying for the Super League or winning the World Cricket League, that was just a, where you can see where we've come from because Ryan Tenduskata only got back into the team sort of at that stage and he was enjoying the way we went about it, but we actually bowled him out for well, to 60 or 280, but actually got the score one or two down with Beresi and Cooper both scoring hundreds and thinking, especially at that stage, it was for us like, we just walk up to games with our game plan, and it just worked. So cricket at that stage was pretty easy because it was like everyone had this set, defined role in the team, and it was a pleasant way of playing cricket because there were no surprises for anyone. It was pretty cool because you knew we were, at a social level, very good. Other games, oh, there's obviously so many games. One I personally remember very well was playing against Kenya in Rotterdam. Might have been 2008, where we had a randomly enough a series against Kenya where we played so the, the Intercontinental Cup was on then so we played the, the four day and then we played two th or three one days and Steve Ticolo was the main man for Kenya and I think I got him out in every game but there was especially one where so the first game in the four day game I got him out LBW because he was trying to hit it to the left side well to the spinner that doesn't turn it left arm spinner it's tough but then we got on a on a turning track where he was first trying to go inside out and hit me over cover and just go the other way around where I actually done him with a wall that massively turned because it was a bit slower. And so that game, obviously, that's the first time I think I got a man of the match award for Holland, potentially. So that one is still like in my brain. It was a rain effective game. I remember that as well. I think, yeah, but there's so many games here. Jeez. Well, I mean, that's the thing. You do have an incredibly long career, partly because you started so long young right yeah yeah how do you feel about the fact that you kind of finish your career with england scoring 498 considering that dutch cricket had come so far in the time that you played and mm. then you know it's got to be a bit of a punch to the gut because it wasn't a full strength dutch team we all know that and you got much better mm. throughout the rest of the series i'm not saying that's because you weren't playing but the team got a lot better throughout the you know players started to come back and you know some of the youngsters got a bit more form and everything so mm. that must be a bit annoying for you that that's the last international yes and no yes because that's not the way you want to bow out or finish your career and it's not nice to have that record against your name anyway so regardless if it's your last game or not but what I will say what was very enjoyable is having seven to 8,000 pretty much English supporters there with the atmosphere created during a game that was played in Holland. I am very happy to have been a part of that. So that's one. And as a cricket lover, seeing Josh Butler going nuts, it's not great, obviously, when you play, but if you now, you know, the emotion is out and you go like, well, it was also pretty special to be a part of because... Mm. As much as you hated it at the time, it was also a well, an unknown force of 
a human that just walked out and just literally wanted to hit every ball for six. It was incredible. So in terms of it wasn't great finishing on that, selfishly speaking, you got to play a home game against England in front of so many people with such an amazing atmosphere. That was the good thing about it that I would say, wow. And it's never the end of the world because in the end, it's only a game of cricket, right? You are a very humble person and you like to make fun of yourself a lot. You do realize the impact that you've had on Dutch cricket, though. Dutch cricket gets probably more flack than it should for the amount of expats that come through the system. Hmm. You growing up as a person from a non-cricket background and then becoming the captain, that's a really big thing, man. What you did, what you achieved, and maybe the legacy that you will leave is a very important thing for Dutch cricket going ahead. You do realize that, right? Even if you won't quite admit it, where you've got this silly smirk on your face at the moment. Yeah, I, I do and I don't because, you know, in terms of that I've played for such a long time and I have actually noticed and actually actively helped trying to make this team go forward and make it more professional and, and try and make cricket more popular in Holland alongside it as well, is that I think that is always something I know because you've just played, right? But I always seem to because you're not the first person to tell me this, so that's why the, the smirk came up, is that I think I, at times, undervalue myself or not understand what I sometimes do for others, or cricket, or Dutch cricket, or whatever. Because I don't really rate it or look at it like, oh, look at what I did. I just prefer to look at... If another person says... Pete has helped me becoming a better cricketer. I'm happy, but he doesn't need to say that to anyone. As long as he knows it and I know it, then I'm more than happy with it. So I, funnily enough, from the character I am, I don't like to be uh, the center of attention anyway. That generally happens when it gets past 12. <laughs> but yeah, I do realize it, but at times I don't. And maybe that will have to come with time because at the moment I just don't realize it. Probably to the full extent some people give me credit for, but it's, yeah. Then I would just say, well, thank you for saying that. That's awfully nice of you. And uh, yeah, I'll take it. What's next, mate? I know you're currently unemployed. I don't see you as a coach. I see you more as maybe an official or a director of cricket or something. Are you looking to stay in cricket, move to something else? Come on, what's next? First of all, in Holland, I don't think it's a very sustainable future to stay in cricket. I'm also unsure if I want to. So first, I would like to take some time away from the game. As I said, I think in the last five years, it's been a bit of overload, especially for me. As I said before that, I loved cricket, but I liked cricket. I didn't love it. Then I started to love it. But once you love it, you start to create a bit of a love-hate relationship with it. So I think for now, I would like to stay away from the game a little bit. If I ever go back into it, I don't know. I also don't really think about that yet. I'm going to go into the world of normal life, probably working at an office or not. That's what I'm currently trying to find out. So that, that's a very interesting process, but it's also uh, mentally quite draining, which is very relatable to cricket, I suppose. But what is next is a lot more time with my family. That's one. A lot less cricket chats also for my family. <laughs> and um, yeah, work. So I would become a normal guy. So cricket has been my identity for such a long time. Not that I really wanted it, but many guys or people around me would have said, oh, Pete's the cricket guy. I mean, still, friends outside of cricket still have no idea what cricket is. 
unfortunately, I haven't been able to even come and watch again, <laughs> which is a bit weird. But yeah, well, what is next? I, it, it's going to be work away from cricket. And yeah, I also want to know what is out there in the world next to cricket because it's been such a full-on but enjoyable, right? But there has to be a stop to it. And that happened obviously a month ago. Now I'm starting to realize how quickly something you've taken seriously and, and you've loved for so long that all of a sudden, once that drops out, you're like, ah, oh, it's it actually gone. So now I kind of trying to make the sort of comparison to like a, an, an ex-girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever it is you're liking, because that's your, your safe haven because you've, you've known it for such a long time and once you break up, but there's always that doubt like, should we get back together? Should I stay involved in cricket? Or maybe not, but it's, it's the world you know. And I now need to cut ties with it. So I, I still play club cricket, but I just want to do that purely on a hobby slash recreational basis, just to be like, I want to enjoy my Sunday, but it's so tough. So it goes from you being so serious to, I just want to play a game of cricket, but it happens so naturally, but so fast that right now it's starting to hit me like, do I throw away the past 18 years? You're not, but you know, it, those questions start to come up. And for me, it's now best to, just stay away from the game a little bit and I'll see where I am probably in about a year's time or so. Thanks for coming on the podcast. No worries. Thanks for having me. Hopefully someone's going to listen to it. <laughs> Maybe not. Thanks for listening to Red Inca on 99.94. For more information about us, go to 99.94dm.com. You can now download us wherever you find your apps just by putting in 99.94. There'll be other cricket podcasts not actually hosted by me, and there'll also be some radio commentary coming soon. There is more information on my guests in the show notes. Please support them where you can, but also support us. If you can't help out on Patreon, every single review, share, or word of mouth suggestion to your friend helps us. However, this podcast is made available by the people who support us at Patreon, so thank you to all of those who do. There is a link to the Patreon in the show notes. Red Inker is made by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCorriston makes the best audio anyone can from random Zoom calls. Makunja Banredi is in charge of our video side. Orijoti Senpati turns the files into video podcasts. And Shibanka Patacharya makes our graphics. Our theme tune is called The Prisoner by the Red Cricket.